Did you ever feel like you're constantly repeating yourself? All the mothers and wives are like, that's all I do is repeat myself. Do you ever feel like sometimes you have to keep asking some people the same question over and over again? For example, you're going somewhere or you're going to pick someone up and you, and you say to someone, are you going to be ready? They go, yes, I'm going to be ready. And then you ask them again later, another phone call, another text or something like that. Are you sure you're going to be ready? And they're like, yes, I'll be ready. Why do you keep asking me that? But you might not be talking about being dressed and getting ready to go into the car. You might actually want to know, is your heart ready for the place where we're going? Is your mind ready for where we're going? Is your soul ready for where we're going? As we enter Matthew chapter 25, we are in Passover week. The the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday has already happened. Uh, Jesus has been in the temple. He's been preaching, going at it with the religious leaders. We've covered all that. That is is all done. We're going line by line through through the gospel of Matthew here. And so his public ministry is over. He's now walking with his disciples, with the apostles. The cross is is coming in a couple days. And he's talking to his disciples about being ready for his second coming. And And it seems to be that Jesus is repeating himself over and over again from last week. And as we move into this week and then the next two sections after this in chapter 25, he's saying to them, you know, are you are you ready? Are you ready? Now, it's interesting They're not even ready for his first coming. They don't even know what's going on now. And he's talking to them about being ready for the second coming. And that's a lot of people in the world that we know. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that might be you. I'm glad you're here. You're like, I don't even get Jesus' first coming. Now you want me to jump to the second coming? I, I I don't understand all of this. And one of the weird things about me, and there's many weird things about me, you know. But one of the weird things about me is when I read the Bible, I always try to remember that Judas was with them. Now, a lot of you know that in my eighth grade play, I played Judas. Uh, and, and then when my religion teacher said uh, after the play, when you think of Judas, who do you think of most? Of half of my class answered me. So, uh, so hopefully the devil's no longer the devil. But Judas looked the part. Probably more than all the rest of them. You say, how do you know? He was in charge of the money. You don't put the most irresponsible guy in charge of the money, do you? Well, hopefully you don't. I know in Washington we do, but in the real world we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't do such things. And so he looked the part, but like the apostles more than any of them, he's not ready on the inside for what's going to happen. He, his heart is not right with Jesus. And for years, followers of Jesus have struggled with the delay of Jesus' second coming. He ascended up into heaven. The angels are there talking to the apostles. They're like, what are you looking up for? He's going to come back the same way at the beginning of the book of Acts. And, and you know, we, we have these expressions we use in the, in the Christian life. Like, oh, all in God's timing. Did you ever notice that that sounds better coming out of your mouth than going into your ears? <laughs> like, oh, all in God's timing. Or... Well, you know, God's timing is perfect. Now, if I asked you, how many of you think God's timing is perfect? Most of you are good church people. You'd raise your hand and I would have to call you all liars because none of you think God's timing is perfect. You all think he, just like me, he's woefully late. Somebody needs to buy him a watch or a cell phone with some kind of alarm to go off to tell him what's going on because we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And, and, and where is he? Why does he seem so slow? And maybe today you're waiting for God for something. And he just seems to be incredibly slow. At the end of chapter 24, Jesus told us regarding the second coming to be watchful, to be faithful, and to be ready. And today he's going to ask the question again, and it is the title of our message, Are You Really Ready? Are You Really Ready? Now, Jesus is not afraid of repeating himself for the benefit of others. And so today we're going to listen to him repeat himself with a very, very sobering parable. And a parable is simply a story. They would be familiar with what, you know, what he's talking about. And as he's demonstrating a spiritual or heavenly or kingdom of God principle to them. 
And when Jesus repeats himself, we should take notice. Now, what happens sometimes is if you're really into the Bible, sometimes in parables, we get lost in the symbolism. And we're so worried about getting all the symbols right that we miss the we miss the point. And so we don't want to get bogged down in the symbolism today. We don't want to get bogged down in the timing of the second coming. And we talked about the rapture and stuff like that. If you don't know anything about that stuff, don't worry about that. We don't want to get bogged down in that today. We really want to look at the point that Jesus is making. And I would say the point is simply this, that preparation for Jesus' second coming is super important. Let me reword that. Preparation, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ already, preparation for his second coming, even if you haven't put your trust in him, preparation for his second coming is not just important, it is in fact everything, and there are terrible consequences for those who know that they should be ready, and they're not. So let's jump in, verse 1, Jesus speaking, says, Then the kingdom of heaven, he's got his boys gathered around him, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. Now that's a term that's typically referred to in the ancient world as young unmarried women. To make it simpler, some of your versions might just say ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now you're like, what, what, what's going on with that? What, what, what's, what's the deal here? Well, uh, very different in our culture today. But back in that culture, you have these 10 women who are part of the bridal party. And what would happen would be initially there would be an engagement. But the engagement was not really so formal. A lot of times they were arranged marriages. And later on, there would be something called the betrothal. And the betrothal would be you would be legally married There would be no consummation of the marriage. If you don't know what the word means, ask your mother on your way home uh, or your father. But there would be no consummation of the marriage. You're you're legally married. The only way to stop a betrothal was was to divorce someone. And that's what Mary and Joseph were when it was discovered that Mary was uh, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. They were betrothed, so he wanted to put her away secretly. He didn't want to embarrass her, but he had to go through that formal thing. And, and so what would happen would be during that betrothal period, uh, the groom would then go to where they were going to live, and during that period, he would get the house ready. Now, some of you ladies are like, I hope he didn't do the decorating, <laughs> right? <laughs> At least I know my wife would say that. And so my wife was very simple. She just let me bring nothing to where I, when we got married. Just like, just leave everything. Burn it. <laughs> right? And so, so that, was, that was very easy for us. I don't have an interior decorating bone in my body. And, and, so, uh, and so, the, so the groom would get the house ready. So here we have a situation where it's probably the end of the betrothal period. And the bride, the, the, they're, they're, at the, at, they're going to go from the groom's house to the bride's house for the actual ceremony. And then they're going to make their way back. Usually at night, they're going to make their way back for the party or for the reception. And sometimes those receptions lasted a week or two. So that was, you're like, man, that's good. You know, the whole town would, would be partying and stuff like that, depending upon how rich the people were. So part of the procession for the bridesmaid, the people in the party, in addition to buying those lovely gowns that you have to buy, and everybody's like, oh, you'll be able to wear it after this day. And, the, and usually the bridesmaid's like, I will be caught dead in this thing again. And I'm like, well, you might be caught dead in that thing. You never know. But, but, but so they'd have to take oh, all the engaged people like, oh, no. <laughs> so, so anyway, so they would be they would be, have these uh, they would have these torches that they would have to have and they would burn them because the processions were usually often at night and they carried their own lamps as part of the celebration. But the, but the torches needed oil to keep burning because when they would, they would burn out, they would, they would then put more oil. They usually have a cloth or something, and they, would, and they would keep them burning. And it was part of the bridesmaid's preparation process to make sure that they had enough oil. Also very important for us to know the symbolism that's going on here that the apostles, as being raised Jewish boys, would be well aware of that the, the Jews knew that the Old Testament portrayed Yahweh as the husband of Israel. Uh, Isaiah 62, 5, written about 700 years before Jesus lived. Uh, For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. 
Hosea 2.19, after Hosea, another Old Testament prophet, talking about God's relationship with Israel, says this. God says, um, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, and in loving kindness and mercy. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is a great version, uh, says this of Hosea 2.19. They translate it this way, a little bit more modern translation. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. So clearly in this illustration, Jesus is equating himself with God. Jesus is saying, like the bridegroom, I am, uh, that God is the bridegroom. I am the bridegroom. I am Yahweh. I am God become a man. And so let's just think about what happened when Jesus came to earth. When Jesus came to earth, uh, many people in the area did not receive him as the Lord, as their savior. As he preached, as he did miracles, there was a number of people who turned to God and put their trust in him. And, and over time, then he ascended into heaven and the apostles went out and they were, they were going out throughout the area and Apostle Paul, particularly in the Roman Empire, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And people were turning to God, putting their trust in Jesus Christ. And the same thing is true today. Many of you, if not most of you, if, you know, have, have come to the place in your life where somebody shared the good news of Jesus Christ, how to have your sins forgiven, how to live with God forever. You just need to put your trust in Jesus and, and what he's done on the cross, his perfect life, his death on the cross, and your sins are credited to him and his perfection is credited to you. And, and God will consider you to be in his eyes sinless and declare you Innocent because Jesus was treated as if he was guilty uh, on your behalf on the cross. And, and so you put your trust in, in Jesus Christ. However, the scripture is very clear that at death or at the second coming, things will be very different. At that time, time will be up. There will be no second chance and that's why Jesus is telling these people, he's telling us, we must be prepared. And that's Jesus' point, that there will be a day when it will be too late to get prepared. And as we are going to see, the door of opportunity will be shut. So verse 2, Jesus is still talking, says, now five of them were wise. Some of your versions say sensible and five were foolish. Most versions say foolish. One version said stupid. <laughs> Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. So th that would mean that you're walking in the procession and once your lamp burns out, you have to get out of the procession. So you're out. That's why they were foolish. They didn't take any oil with them. Verse four, but the wise took oil in their vessels. What, what, like, what do you mean in their vessels? Um, they had these flasks or containers that they would have the oil in. Now, this is Calvary Chapel, so I know that you, some of you used to carry flasks or containers when you went to weddings, but I know something different was in them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but don't drink their oil, okay, <laughs> whatever you do. And so, and so they, they would carry, they would have a container that they would have the extra oil in, so when their torch burned out, they would pour more oil on it, and they, then it would be able to stay lit for a while longer. Somebody's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like when Indiana Jones goes in the cave or something like that. that now you're like, oh, yeah, now I know what we're talking about. Okay, that's what some of you are like, who's Indiana Jones? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, um, so, they, so the, the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So they were ready. They were ready. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, a lot of people read into the sleeping, but there's no rebuke. There's no reprimand of, of the people that are sleeping. The Jesus doesn't say anything. What, what, there's no, you know, a lot of times people think, well, we're not supposed to enjoy life. They were prepared. They were ready to enjoy life. Just be prepared. God wants you to enjoy life. And so, and so they, were, they were sleeping, but while they're sleeping, we're going to see some were prepared for the groom to come back and some were not prepared. So there's lots of speculation on what or who the oil is. A lot of people say the Holy Spirit certainly could be that. Typically in the Bible, when you see oil mentioned, it is the Holy Spirit. Um, but we're not, we're not told any more than the fact that the foolish didn't have any extra oil. 
And, and I believe that is a clue to the point that apparently they thought that the bridegroom was not coming very soon. Remember what we said last week? One of the most dangerous words in the English language is tomorrow. They thought, oh, he'll come tomorrow. We'll make sure we have our oil tomorrow. So they, so they were not ready. And, 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 well, they just thought, why? Well, one reason is because the groom's role is to prepare the place for the bride. But as they waited, they got sloppy. It's an interesting principle of the Christian life. When people are new to the Christian faith, it's always exciting to watch how some people hit the ground running. I mean, they are so excited. They know absolutely nothing, but they are excited. And that's all they know about. And, you know, they're mixing sort of all this kind of thinking from the world and they import it to their Christianity. And then some of you come to me and you go, you know that person who's new? They're they're sort of mixing Christianity and the stuff they learned in the world. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, was I like that when I first became a Christian here, Pastor Jim? I was like, you were worse. (laughs) And they're like, but you were patient with me. I go, well, we were all like that. We got to learn. But then you get older, you learn. The challenge is to stay on fire. That becomes the challenge because life is hard. Life beats you up. And that's why you got to stay prepared. You got you to be in the book. You got to be talking to God. And so, and so that, that they, were, they, were, they were getting sloppy. And it's interesting um, to notice that they were sleeping. The wise were sleeping because they were confident in Jesus. I, I, know, I know some of you um, don't sleep very well. I, maybe one thing you might want to do is what I do before I go to sleep. It only takes me a second to fall asleep, so I try to do it at some point in time in the evening. And I'm just like, okay, God, I'm done with today, and I'm going to delegate everything to you <laughs> until I take it up again in the morning. And so they were, they, were, they, were, they were sleeping in confidence in Jesus. But the fools were overconfident. They were overconfident in themselves. And you know people like this. And this actually might be you here today. You just think that you're okay. You're, you're fine. You're like, I don't need this Jesus stuff. My life is going great. Why in the world do I need any of this kind of Jesus stuff? I've heard people say, my life is fine. The, f- the future's so bright, I got to wear shades, Right? I'm content. I'm content. Now, the Bible says that, you know, godliness with contentment with great gain is great gain. It doesn't say just being content is is enough. Because there will be a day, as we'll see, when you won't be so content. And so they're thinking, I'm fine. Don't bother me with all this stuff. Don't bother me. Hey, like, you need oil because because the 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 bride, the groom might be coming back soon. The Lord might be coming back soon. They're They're not thinking that way. So soon, Jesus is going to say these words the night before the cross in the upper room at the Last Supper. He says these very familiar words, John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do you know what he did right there? You know how people say Jesus never said he was God? He just did. He just did. You don't tell anybody to believe in God and believe in you in the same sentence. Because belief in their idea, in their world, was merely more the idea of trust. So he's saying, trust in God, trust in me. Verse 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then Jesus says this, I go to prepare a place for you. What is this? This is the groom going away, preparing a place for his bride. And in the New Testament, the church is called the bride of Christ. So that's, what, that's what's going on. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. It's not that I have to get to him. He's going to come for me. I love that. I, that puts so much confidence and warmth in my soul. He's like, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. This is just like what's going on here in this this parable he's telling in Matthew's gospel. He's saying the groom is going to come for the bride. And then he's going to take the bride back to the party, to the reception. so, So that's what's going to go. That's what he's talking about here. 
He says, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So everything about the bridesmaids externally probably looked the same. He probably looked at them all and say, look, there's all the girls with the, with the bows and the purple dresses. There they go. And <laughs> going to be in trouble for some of these things. <laughs> so, so, so there they go. And they look the same, just like so many church people do. So many church people look the same. But we have to be so aware that externals and appearances can be deceiving, can't they? They can be very deceiving. And this is so important to us because we live in an image-driven culture. We're so concerned about our image. And Jesus is saying there's going to be people in the midst of the wedding party, as we're going to see, that don't belong in the wedding party. So there's going to be people sitting in churches that are really not part of God's people. I don't say that to be mean. I say that so you would really listen to what Jesus is saying. So a very common thing, people meet me after the service and they say, Pastor Jim, you know the way you talk a lot of times, you talk like you don't believe everybody in the church is actually saved and going to heaven. I'm like, is there a question in that somewhere? <laughs> of course not. We don't even want that. If you have friends who are not Christians, we want you to bring them here. That we want them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't want them to hear about being religious. This is not about being religious. I mean, if you're here and you're a guest and you're not a Christian, you're like, I can't believe this dude is the pastor. <laughs> like he's saying, dude, he's wearing jeans. He doesn't even tuck his shirt in. Like, where did they buy him? <laughs> like, like, it's a no return policy. Sorry. <laughs> So we don't, we're not talking about being religious. We're talking about something entirely different. So the wise are prepared for the, for the groom's delay. Their hearts anticipate and they, and they burn for King Jesus' arrival and they live for that day. But the foolish, they've got nothing in their hearts. Their hearts are empty towards God. They don't even think it's that important. They are totally unprepared to to go the distance, to make it all the way to the groom's house. They were in the right place, but they give little thought to their future. Perhaps they were too self-absorbed, but more than likely, they just simply lacked the reality of the love of Jesus Christ in their hearts. And when we lack the reality of the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts, then we lack the reality of the love for Jesus in our hearts. You just go out on the streets. Go down your street. Ask people anytime. Just say, you think you're going to heaven? Yes, of course. Like, heaven, they're waiting for me, man. You kidding? You ask them, how do you know? Oh, I'm a good person. I go to church. I, I, did my, I did my sacraments things. I, I, I prayed a prayer. I went and lived like the devil after the prayer, but I prayed the prayer. <laughs> Friends, I think you'll agree with me. Those are dangerous presumptions. Very, very dangerous presumptions to think that you did something. That, do, do you really think that Jesus, God had to send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins and you could do some silly little thing that would be enough. I mean, I'm not, I may be deceived in a lot of ways, but at least now God has shown me that I'm not deceived in that way. That that's a very foolish way to think. That's very presumptuous. You see, for those of you who think that oil is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit we know does come to live inside the believer, we see that perhaps illustrated here. A torch without oil is useless. A torch without oil is as useless as a profession of faith is without a desire to walk faithfully with Jesus to the end. Does it really mean anything? Some of you have lived through the horrors of this. You, you stand on a stage with someone and you commit your life to that person and then you find out that they're leading a double life and they're cheating on you. Is that love? That's not love. I don't even really care. That's not love. And so this, this, Jesus is talking about very, making dangerous presumptions. 
He's warning against false, false processions, professions of faith, and he does it throughout the Gospels, which was not popular with people and not appreciated, and nor is it popular or appreciated today. John chapter 5. Jesus is talking with the religious leaders. It says, therefore, the Jews. Remember when you see that in the Bible, that typically is not Jewish people in general, but it typically refers to the religious leaders. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. As we go into the trials of Jesus in the fall, we're going to see that's going to be the charge against him. You make yourself out to be God. People say Jesus never said he was God. The people there, they knew exactly what he was saying. They knew exactly what he was saying. So then in John 5, Jesus continues talking to them, and he's talking about how God has approved him, that he's God's man for the job. That he is the son of God. He knows his father. You don't know my father, but, but I know my father. And then John five thirty four, he says this to the religious leaders. Yet I do not receive testimony from man. We might say he's saying, I don't really want or need testimony from man. I don't need everybody to think that I'm so wonderful. And then listen to this. But I say these things to you that you may be saved. These are the religious leaders he's talking to. These are the guys that, in that culture, the pillars of the community. It's like Jesus coming into church, walking up, buying all these people. Love all you guys, love all you guys. Hey, Jim, I'm telling you this stuff so you can be saved. Now, some would say he's insulting the religious leaders in front of everybody else. He's not like that. He's laying down the truth. Listen, listen, dudes, you look great on the outside. I get it. You got the robes. You got the long beards. You got all the stuff happening. That makes everybody think you're so super spiritual. But I'm telling you this, you're not going to heaven. He's that honest with them. And they're going to kill him for it. They're going to kill him for it. Because we're going to see they had a good thing going, some of these guys, especially money-wise. Verse 6 continues. Jesus continues. And at midnight, in the middle of the night, some versions say, probably alluding to the time when they would least expect it, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out. And meet him. So now, you students, you know what it's like, right? Um, your teacher walks in and says, today we're going to have a pop quiz. How do you feel about that? Depends upon how prepared I am. <laughs> right? Depends upon whether I've been paying attention. Depends upon whether I've been doing the homework. So they're going to have a pop quiz. So the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So they're cleaning them up. They're getting them ready. They know that they got to, they got to march in the procession. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. So, so they light them up and nothing. They're like, give us some oil. Give us some oil. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and, and you. The idea is there might not be enough or there will not be enough, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. So apparently 7-Eleven carried oil uh, in the middle of the night or quick check or wherever they had there over there. But, you know, probably maybe there was enough travelers at night that there was an all night oil place or everybody knew that the bridegroom was coming to this big wedding. And so somebody opened up their shop. And they said, you know, when we know when the day is going to come, we're going to make sure that we have plenty for you. Some, you know, uh, smart oil merchant. So the bridegroom comes when they least expect it. And we've been saying that Jesus is teaching that his coming is imminent, which means that it can happen at any moment. Also means that there's nothing else that needs to happen for Jesus to make his move and come again. And in back of all of this, he's asking them, are you really ready? Are you really ready? Again, if you, if you had no torchlight, there was no procession for you and you were out of the bottle, bridal party. So they asked the others for help. Or maybe they're just in a panic and they beg for help. But they waited too long and they assumed others would help them. That's what a lot of people do. You know, you, they, maybe it was a guilt trip. Maybe they started laying a guilt trip on them. You have any relatives owe you a bunch of money? And you're like, uh, your credit rating is zero with me, <laughs> right? You know, 
There's, I know there's three major credit reporting bureaus, and there's me, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and yours is zero with me. Oh, but please, lend me $1,000. You're like, no. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, aren't Christians supposed to help people? <laughs> and you're like, oh, that is so cheesy. That is so played out. You know, and so, so there's something. We have people call the church. They're like, uh, I need some money to pay my power bill. And we're like, I bet you do, <laughs> right? And then we're like, well, you have to come in and talk to us, and we'll probably give you food, but, you know, you sound like you've been drinking, and, you know, we're not going to just give you money. And like, aren't churches supposed to help people? <laughs> like, well, yeah, we are. Come on in. We'll help you. Which doesn't mean we're going to give you money. And so maybe there's some guilt trip going on here. But they said no. Now, that might to us, that might sound heartless to us, but those wedding processions could be very, very long, and they don't want to be unprepared at the time that they've been spending so much time to be prepared for. They don't want to run out. You know, it's like people who follow the Lord for years, and they just fall away at the very end. They don't want to be that person. They don't want to be that. They want to finish well. Not to mention that for all of us who are followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to, the fa- to be faithful to the mission or the work that God has given to us. That means sometimes we just have to say no. Sometimes we have to say no. It's okay to say no, loved ones. So, and there's a life and death, heaven and hell principle here that you cannot rely on others for salvation. It is an individual matter. You cannot borrow it from somebody else. You can't. Spiritual preparedness cannot be transferred from one individual to another. I want to be as respectful as I can. I don't care how many times your grandmother prayed the rosary. It is not enough to get you into heaven. And I say that as being a man whose grandmother was very, very sick for the last years of her life, probably the last 10 years, and all she did was pray the rosary for me. And I was a devil till I was 29 years old. You, know, you can't ride somebody else's wave into heaven. You just can't. That's just, that's just not the way it works. No one can walk with Jesus for you. They can't do that for you. Yes, yes, we need to have people that help us. And we should have people that help us. We should have people who help us. And we should be helping other people. But, but you must walk the walk of faith yourself. None of us can be another person's savior. I want to repeat that again. None of us can be another person's savior. And no person can be your savior except for Jesus Christ. And to look at it any other way is foolish. In Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, talking about his own nation Israel, that had, he was a Jew, and they had largely rejected Jesus, writes this. For I wish, Romans 9, verse 3 and 4, for I wish I could, that I might, I wish, I wish, I could, for I could wish, sorry, that I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. What is he saying? I wish, I wish that they would all go to heaven and I would trade my life for that. I was saying I would go to hell and let all my people, as bad as they treated me, as bad as they treated Jesus, I would let them go to heaven and I would go to hell if that was possible. But it's not possible. It's not possible. And I know all of you who are parents because I am one. That's what you would do for your kids. You're like, I, God, I would go to hell if you would let them go to heaven. But you can't do that. You can't do that. They have to transact with God on their own. Everybody has to transact with God on their own. 
You can't do it for somebody else. The Apostle Paul knows that if you build your life on anything else other than Jesus' blood and righteousness, that sounds like a song, doesn't it? I stole it. If you, don't, if you build your life on anything else other than Jesus' blood and righteousness, your future will be dark. Without the gift of the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins, without the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you by putting your trust in him, no one shall stand before God, no matter how religious you think you are, or no matter how good you look on the outside. You know, it's easy to look prepared. It's easy to look good on the outside. But it requires spiritual discipline. It requires diligence to actually be prepared. If you're new to this whole Christian thing, you're like, where do I start? You, you, you start reading your Bible. You spend time with God. You let him speak to you. And then you do what he says. Now, again, if you're, if you're new or, or a reminder for the rest of us, that does not save you. That does not get your sins forgiven. That proves that God has already done the work of salvation in your heart. Your desire for God and your desire to be with him and you can be with him in a lot of different ways, but ultimately you are with him in his word. That shows you that God is on the move in your heart. And friends, I say this with all sincerity. If following Jesus doesn't cost you something. And, and I, listen, I'm not talking about, well, I got up and went to church this morning. That, that's not what I'm talking about. If it doesn't cost you something, then, then please rethink your salvation and your priorities. Just like Jesus, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I say these things to you so that you might be saved. Back in Matthew chapter 13, we did this, these two parables, the parable Jesus told us, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the, of the lost pearl. And, and, and these guys, they found it, right? And they sold everything to get it. Remember the guy dug up the treasure and it wasn't his land, so he went and bought the land and the treasure became his. That's not being saved by works, that's, that's really after finding Jesus or after realizing that Jesus found you. You realize the great value and worth of Jesus. And those guys did whatever it took to live their life for him. They did whatever it took to get more of Jesus. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, they had to go buy because they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. We're supposed to feel that. We're supposed to feel that. Supposed to, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to think that, that you're in the wedding and you look at Jesus and he shuts the door. And people you love aren't going to get in. People you care about aren't going to get in because they weren't ready. They didn't really care. Or maybe if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe, maybe the door will be shut and as we're going to see, you're not going to be able to get in. You're not going to be able to get in because you simply trusted in yourself instead of trusting in Jesus. It's that simple. It's that simple. The door of opportunity is closed. It's like you're, you're running to the airport and it's snowing and, and, and you're on the last flight out and you find out that you missed your flight. And they go, I'm sorry, you missed the flight. There are no more flights out. The airport is closed. You are not going home. You're not going anywhere. It's too late. You missed it. 
Verse 11, afterward, the other virgins, the foolish ones, came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Another version translates it, open the door for us. But he, and this is Jesus talking about himself, but he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now, way back at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, that's how it ended. There was these guys coming to Jesus. They, were, they, were just, they had their spiritual resume. They were going, hey, hey, Jesus, don't you remember all the stuff we did for you? I mean, come on, man. I parked cars. I served coffee. I'll fix the building. I gave sermons. I led a small group. I did miracles, they said. And we said, we did miracles. We did all kinds of stuff in your name. And Jesus goes, that was great. But I didn't know you. And I don't know you now. So they come back. But it's too late. And, and, and while they seem to be surprised, notice they know what to do. They know to cry out to Jesus. They know that's what you got to do. They just didn't want to do it on their timetable. They appeal to Jesus. Please revisit my case. Please, please give me a second chance. And Jesus' reply is devastating. Devastating. I was home Thursday working on this. And I had to go out and walk around my house, man. I was like, this is devastating. He says, I don't know you. They say, well, wait a minute. He's God. God knows everything. God knows everybody. What his point is, I don't know you as someone who put their trust in me. I don't know you as someone who, whose heart was right, who was prepared to come in to my feast, to come into heaven. Jesus doesn't recognize them as one of his people, one of the true people of God. And now it's too late. It's too late to come into the kingdom of God. It's too late to come into the kingdom of heaven. What a challenging question that raises to us. Which kingdom matters most to us? God's kingdom or our own kingdom. Now, before you sit there and you say, hey, listen, man, God is not, God is being unfair here. They knew he was coming. They knew the groom was coming. But they missed the eternal kingdom because they were preoccupied. Because they presumed or assumed that they were okay or they actually gave little thought to it. Now, this is very interesting, and this grates against the American mindset. This grates against the way we think about Christianity. This is why a lot of pastors will say, I'm not teaching verse by verse. Okay? Because you gotta go, if you go through it with a fine-tooth comb, you got to say some really uncomfortable things. Now, if you're a guest with us here today, you want to know how fine-tooth the comb is here. We are in chapter 25 I feel like I'm going too fast. And this is message number 115. And I feel like I'm going too fast. But what, because what Jesus says, the way he says things, is very foreign to the American mind. When Jesus preaches the gospel, he includes the consequences for rejecting him. We don't really do that. We're like, oh, come to Jesus for a better life. And so people come to Jesus and their life falls to pieces and they walk away. And we go, oh, they walked away. Do you know why they walked away? Because we lied to them. We lied to them. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you want to get into the wedding? You got to put your trust in me. You got to be ready. He doesn't say everything's going to be fine. He says there's consequences for not trusting in him. Again, we're meant to feel the pain. We're meant to feel the regret. We're meant to feel the deep sense of tragic loss. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you are supposed to feel this too. And what are you supposed to do? 
Choose the joy of Jesus instead. Come in. Come in while there's still time. That's what you're meant to do. You're meant to not want to be on the outside begging him to come in. And in verse 13, Jesus drives home the point of the parable. He says, watch therefore. Verb tense, keep watching. Keep watching. Remember we said last time we've called it, it's called a present imperative. Imperative is a command in the present. Continually do it. Keep watching. Why? For you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Does that sound familiar to you? It should if you've been here. That's the fifth time Jesus has said that same thing since chapter 24, verse 36. That is five times in 28 verses that he says, you don't know when I'm coming. Do you think that's important? Do you think that's important? Do you think he believes that none of us know? Do you think he believes that all of us are going to be surprised? This is, this is really something that got to me personally. I notice I'm sitting here going like, it's so odd that Jesus' sense of urgency is so much more than ours. Like, he's there. He controls who comes in and who doesn't. And he, he's urgent about this thing. And we're like, la-di-da, got plenty of time, no big deal. I got things I got to do. And it shows you how much Jesus cares and how serious he is about this. You see, this is what I find interesting and so tragic. Again, I'm not here to insult anybody. I'm just here to, to actually, to, to, remember I said, I'm not, a, I'm not a cook, I'm a waiter. Jesus makes the meal, I just deliver it. Mankind, religious people, couldn't stomach Jesus' teaching. They couldn't. Clear teaching. You're either in or you're out. Clear teaching. So what do they do? They go out and they invent this place called purgatory. There is no such place. There's no such place. It is completely contrary to teaching of Jesus and the apostles. They never taught it. They taught the exact opposite. But we're telling people, oh, listen, okay. All right. You're not so great. You're not so wonderful. You might not make heaven. But you know what? You're not Stalin, you're not Lenin, you're not Mussolini, you're not Hitler, you're not Attila the Hun, so you're not going to go to that place. So we'll send you to some in-between holding tank. Give us some money, we'll pray you out of there. It's terrible. We laugh, but it's tragic. How many people are going around thinking that's what Jesus taught? Jesus' point is simple. Have your Christian life so ordered... Begin by trusting in Jesus. Have your Christian life so ordered and your priorities so in order so that when you are surprised by his return, you are ready. You say, does that make any sense? You are all going to be surprised. We, we can't know the day or the hour. The scripture says it is appointed unto a man or a woman to die once and then the judgment you and I don't know when. But we can be ready. We can be ready. Practically speaking, readiness will help you overlook so many of the petty concerns of life that you're always worried about. And help you manage the most difficult ones. But notice how Jesus, he's just so, he's just so blunt. He's just so direct. He doesn't do what we would do. You know, he doesn't write a book. He's like, oh, I'm going to write a book. He wrote the Bible, but it's not like he just tells people, just this is it. He doesn't go write a blog. He doesn't have a podcast or the Jesus podcast. Well, Jesus, what do you think going to happen to people who, who, when they don't trust you? Well, you know, uh, no, he's not like that at all. No, no, no five steps to have a happy Christian life. Here's what you need to do. No, his messages couldn't be more simple. Put your trust in me and be ready. That's it. Put your trust in me and be ready. It's not a complicated message. It's we that complicate it. 2 Timothy 2.19, the, the Apostle Paul says, The Lord knows 
who are his. And those are the people that will be welcomed into the glorious celebration. Well, who are they? They are those that know that the Christian life, while the Christian life is lived in community, must be personally owned. And it starts by putting your trust in Jesus. No one else can stand in your place except one. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He stood on the cross in your place for your sins. And the way to be forgiven is to put your trust in him. You see, people who belong to the Lord don't put their hope in looking good on the outside. That's not where their hope is. Their hope is having Christ on the inside. The scripture says Christ in you is your only hope of glory. That's the only hope that we have. They're the ones who trust the one who can shut the door to the kingdom. You know why he can shut the door to the kingdom? Because he is the door to the kingdom. John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Let me ask you a question. When you think of a pasture, what, is, what, is it, what memories does it bring to you? It's a peaceful place. It's a place of rest. Is your soul in rest today or is it in angst? Many of you know I grew up across the street from horse stables and there was a pasture out back. And sometimes I would just have these points of angst in my life. And my mother used to say to me, why don't you go for a walk in the pasture? Usually you feel better after that. And I would go walk. And I would come back and I'd be usually okay. Don't you want that? Don't you want that for yourself? We read earlier, John 14, 3, Jesus said, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Then verse 4, he goes, And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And then he goes on with that famous line to tell them that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, let me ask you this question. Seriousness, seriousness, soul searching, not condemning at all, soul searching. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? And more importantly, does he know you? Does he know you as someone who've put their trust in him? Does does he know you as someone where your seat at his glorious banquet has been reserved? When life will be just full of joy in Jesus. As we go to the Lord's table, we, we remember the cross. And we ask ourselves this morning, are you really ready? All of us, we confess our sins. We put our trust in Jesus. And we worship him. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you this on the authority of God's word. It is not too late. It is not too late. In this moment, in this time, you can put your trust in Jesus and the door will be wide open to you. You won't be caught on the outside. You will be on the inside. Let's pray.